0: you have your Bible, we're looking at Matthew 5 today. There are many parts of the Bible that are not only incredibly important and vital, but also worth marinating in, as Mike led us in. And then coming back to, and coming back to. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus opens the scroll and reads from Matthew, Isaiah 61. And this passage is very, very similar to that passage. One of the many things happening in it is Jesus is describing that he is the one that he read about in Isaiah 61. Because he is the one that confers and then can define by description the beautiful life available to his followers. Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you and others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We're spending the winter and spring looking at kingdom practices, the things that are available to us in the Christian life to do all the things Mike led us in with the slow reading of scripture, to allow them to teach and guide us and nourish us. I've said this before, but it's been a while, when when I first read uh, Matthew 5 as a child, I was a fascinated. It's the only part of my Bible that was all read, you know? And I thought these were the attitudes I was supposed to be. Um, As I continue to study the scriptures, and I learned this many years ago, but Jesus never tells us to be an attitude. He offers to us himself. And then he describes what the Holy Spirit does in us. These beautiful ways of being in the world. The Beatitudes are not a kingdom practice. But they are what the kingdom practices allow us to enjoy in the, even in this world where disease and sin and death and irreconciled relationships continue to abound. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those are those who know their need and that it's met, which creates in them a calmness. And I know none of us is always calm, but when we enjoy the kingdom practices, purchase the, uh, the kingdom practices of God after being gripped by his great love for us, the fact that we knew our poor in spiritness because the Holy Spirit taught it to us and then have learned to sit in it creates calm. You read through the Gospels, maybe in kind of a medium. Level way, not trying to plumb all their depths, but not trying to fly through them, you can't help but notice that people really wanted to be with Jesus. They wanted to sit with him regardless of whether he was talking or not. They wanted to be near him regardless of whether they had a disease or not, though those people might have been a little quicker to get to him. It's because Jesus was poor in Spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, We're entering um, month 14 of a pandemic, and here's my chief concern for you, followers of Jesus. Number one concern is that you're resisting the grief that COVID has forced upon all of us. Both the specific griefs that are yours and yours alone, but also the collective grief. Now, when Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, he was actually speaking eschatologically. That's the theological term for the end time. So he's talking about the additional mourning available to Christians because we know that sin and death will wear out. And so there's an additional layer, at least, if not more, to our grief. But the reality is that we have opportunities to grieve today. My uh, mom's mom passed away a few weeks ago. When I was in college, she knitted me a pair of mittens. And some of you know I'm uh, missing part of a finger. And the mittens that she made for me were custom made. In the colors of my college. And only I could wear them. I used to give them to other people and say, try them on. And they wouldn't fit. And the reason I'm telling you that story is that's one of the ways that we grieve, is we tell the stories. Yesterday, one of my um, professors in seminary died. He was a professor of church history, and I had heard from older, wiser students than me that if he was on campus, because he was retired when I was in seminary in the early 2000s, late, uh, how do you say that? 07-09. If he comes on campus again, you need to take one of his courses, because he's a kind and good man and an excellent scholar. So I did, and about a month into the semester, I was diagnosed with cancer, this man had been treated for cancer for over 20 years while he was teaching the class. In fact, he shared with me he had become so healthy they would be able to operate on his heart. And then he would return to his cancer treatments. I turned in my uh, final for him when I was in the hospital for my second surgery. and He emailed back in less than a minute and said, A plus, and friends, this was not A plus work. But he knew where I was emailing him from, and he was kind. And so for anyone, grief is available and important to us as a human, and we would call that common grace. For a Christian, it's also that I'm glad that Dr. Cal- Dr. Calhoun's uh, son tweeted that he's jealous that his dad gets to meet John Calvin before him. There's Some of that, but there's also I'm bothered by cancer. So some of my mourning is for the things that are still here that will not be when Jesus returns. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I'm going to try a definition by description of meek. I think a meek person knows what they can do and what they can't do. What they do know and what they don't know. What is theirs to do in the world and what is not. They're comfortable in their own skin the life that they have, the place that they are, their height, if you will—I don't know why I put that in there. From *Gentle and Lowly* by Dane Ortlund, he writes that a, a meek person is not trigger happy. They're not harsh. They're not reactionary. They're not easily exasperated. Meek people are some of the most understanding people in the world. Which doesn't mean they don't have anything to say when someone's in the wrong doesn't mean that at all. We always just think meek means weak in my experience. <laughs> That's not the biblical definition at all because this is the same word from Matthew 11 when Jesus describes his own heart, the only time he speaks about his own heart. I know I've said that three weeks in a row and you wrote it down two weeks ago. It's good to hear it again. And part of the reason I wanted to talk about the Beatitudes is Jesus is so uh, delightfully gentle and clear in his leading of us that these are beautiful ways of being in the world you see it we don't really want these and we don't really want these if someone read a description of them to you or read just what they are to you even with the rewards if you weren't familiar with Jesus's words in Matthew 5 you'd be like I don't want that why would I want that Why would I want to be persecuted or be meek? Like, I'm not going to get very far in the world. I'm probably going to get paid less. People are going to make fun of me behind my back, which is true. I don't think we're being persecuted in the United States as Christians the way that Jesus is talking about persecution. We are reviled, though. For sure. Anyway, you wouldn't want these things. I don't think. Until you come to the end of yourself. And then Take what the Holy Spirit has for you. And what he has for you is himself. The gospel is not the beautiful attitudes, but when we receive the Holy Spirit and love of God, these are the attitudes we become into. We become this beautiful way of being in the world. And the reason I say it's such a beautiful gospel breadcrumb way of teaching of Jesus is we desperately want people that have these beautiful attitudes. Liam, my iPad's not working. It's not you, it's me. So, do your best. So, while we wouldn't want the Beatitudes in and of ourselves, when we come to the end of ourselves, when we're sick of our own way, because really there are just two ways to do life, right? Our way or God's way. And when we're tired of our way, realized how profoundly it doesn't work, evidentially and existentially, then we want the God way. But the gospel breadcrumb, too, the beautiful attitudes being such a lovely gift of the Holy Spirit, We desperately want people in our lives who are poor in spirit, who know how to mourn, and who are meek. Right? Now it's working again, Liam. Way to go. Thanks for fixing it. Even though I created the problem, you fixed it. Great job. Jesus describes beauty in us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The more I consider this passage, the more I think it has to do with how we treat others. More than I would have realized, and I've preached on the Beatitudes one at a time before. I've studied them, <laughs> studied the differences between how Luke records them and how Matthew records them, which are overlapping. They don't disagree with one another. This has to do with how we treat other people. Do we treat other people the way that Jesus taught us to treat them, which transcends? Our words, but it includes our words, transcends our eyes, though it includes our eyes, transcends our hands, literally, though it includes our hands. One of my favorite Christian authors says, it is the acid test of a person's faith, how they treat people. And as a beautiful way of being in the world, we long to treat others well, which doesn't mean let them roll over us, which doesn't mean we don't get to say something when it needs to be said. Christians should be the last humans on the planet that call evil good a good evil, meaning we do have to speak up. But hungering and thirsting after righteousness is knowing that our typical natural way of being in the world and treating others, mostly trying to control them, because we're afraid, anxious, ashamed, we let go of and instead receive Jesus' way learn to love them well. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I was meeting with some pastors a few weeks ago, and one of them quoted Jeremiah 17.9, and this is, uh, a fa- this is a failing and failed crusade in my life. But friends, Jeremiah 17 is not the last word on your heart. It's actually the first word in the context of Jeremiah. I know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, great. Just listen to the point of this. Christians like to say the heart is deceitful because Jeremiah 17 says that. But then in Jeremiah 31, God gives a new heart, which is the new covenant which Jesus fulfilled and inaugurated. Your heart's not wicked. You do still have sinful tendencies. That's called your flesh or your false self. Read Romans 7 sometime with the context of you have a good heart and still tendencies to sin. And read how Paul wrestled with that himself. You're in good company, but your heart's not evil. Not anymore. So the beautiful way of being in the world is learning to live out of that heart, learning to let your tendencies, whatever they are, to control and manipulate other people, seep away. Guile, manipulation. And what it means to, be, to, to live out of that is to resist the temptation when those old friends, guile or manipulation or silence, whatever it is, for you. When you're tempted to utilize that style or control of the people in your life, you let it go. Or repent if you utilized it for a day or a week or a month. June 21st, I think. We're going to go outside and begin worshiping outside. I hope you're able to join us. It's a really lovely place to worship. My favorite Sundays are the ones where it's rained on Saturday. The brook is louder. I feel like I have to shout because of the way the speaker system works, and I don't because our sound guys are amazing, but I feel that way. Planes fly overhead, and I just have to stop talking and be humbled by it. When we come together in corporate worship, which is a kingdom practice... The Holy Spirit is nourishing the beautiful attitudes that he gave us in us. This is a picture of our hayloft. Yesterday I was um, marinating in Psalm 70 up there, which if you'd like a guide to honest prayer and you're not sure where to start, Psalm 70 is really good. It's real good. So I just kind of marinated in it for about 15 minutes. And my phone was on airplane mode. For me, that's key. Maybe you're more spiritual than me. But for me, I turned the phone on airplane mode. And um, when I turned my phone back on, I got the text about my professor. So then I got to mourn. And I wondered if... By marinating in the Lord's word and taking some deep breaths and not letting the, notif- the terrorist notifications of my phone take over my life, I was actually ready to mourn. Here's my question for you about the hayloft. When was the last time you were up there? And you're like, can we go up there? Yep. The founders of the church would probably rise up in defiance of me if I started locking that door. We do lock some of our doors, but not very many. And definitely not the hayloft. And the reason we don't is so that you can go and sit up there. It's not a more holy place than any other place, but boy, is it a beautiful and a good place where many, many, many saints have come before you and prayed and sung and wept and laughed. When was the last time you were up there? If you show up and somebody's there, you can go to the chapel in the silo. Some of you love the silo. Some of you do not. Some of you, the hayloft's too dusty. You need to walk the property. Well, it's time. Spring. Why haven't you been up there? Some of you are like, because I live in Oregon. You have a good excuse. Those of you in the Farmington Valley, make it happen. Not because it accomplishes something in the kingdom, but because that has already been accomplished and is yours and in learning to marinate in the kingdom practices available to us, modeled and taught by Jesus, we receive this beautiful way of being in the world. Blessed are the peacemakers. I believe the peacemakers are those who facilitate wisely, prayerfully, without gossip or manipulation, the relational healing of the people around them. And for those of you that think that sounds really hard and complex and exhausting, I have terrible news for you. We probably need you. Those of you that think you can always help, you need others and wisdom. Not all of us are called to peacemake all the time. But as a follower of Christ, when irreconciled relationships are near us, we do what we can. prayerfully, wisely. Without gossip, or manipulation, which really requires some internal work to watch out for the second one. The first one is telling a true story that's not yours to tell. Blessed are those who are persecuted. I think we're a lot like 5th century Christians in Rome. That's about two generations after Christianity went from being illegal to being legal to being illegal to not be a Christian. So we're working it out because lots of Christianity in this area is protected, and yet people don't like it either. It's a very interesting cultural moment for Christians. As some grasp for power and others hide, we try to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us into this beautiful way of being in the world. And among other things, what I think for us in Farmington Valley in 2021— this beautiful way of being in the world reminds us of, is there are persecuted Christians. and We get to pray for them, support them, care for them when they're here. Um, the, the, we have missionaries who come and speak to us, and I have to be careful now because we're live-streamed. Just remembered that. And they encourage us one of my favorite things is they encourage us in how to encourage them and how to pray for them they're not afraid but we will be reviled something's going to happen And if you have a great boss and this doesn't apply to you terrific but you might be passed over for a promotion for acting christianly i don't think that the corporate world is evil i do think there are opportunities for guile and manipulation that christians are, to- are told to avoid that might have sped you up that ladder a little quicker One thing that I enjoyed when I used to play morning hoops was the way they would uh, I think gently in fun make fun of me. If I hit a three pointer on a Friday they'd be like we're closer to Sunday he's more powerful. And I thought that was hilarious. Uh, My wife didn't. (laughs) Um, And I think the reason is um, being reviled. The younger men that would play when they would find out what I do they're like oh people still like go to church and stuff. Huh. Because you know Not real prevalent in this part of the country. And that didn't hurt me, but I don't know what's in their mind, and this might have been reviling. And Jesus describes that as a beautiful way to be in the world. If you're a teacher, you might take extra time with a kid, not because you're a great teacher, but because you're a Christian. And other teachers might think you're crazy, or they already do. If you're an attorney, you might spend some extra time with a client and not bill them because you're a Christian. I have no idea if that's true. I'm not an attorney. You might do more pro bono work than others in your office, and they might think that's silly because you'll make partner quicker when you do the billable hours quicker and do excellent at that, but you're a follower of Jesus, and so your, attorney, your uh, law firm has pro bono options to it, and people will revile you for the number of hours that you do that, and yet that's a beautiful way to be in the world. Jesus describes beauty in us, which we get to cultivate. That's a picture of me and my dog, Doug, right in front of a wildflower field in Wagner Woods. I'm less aggressive about thinking you need to get all the way to the wildflower field in Wagner Woods, but it's beautiful. This is a better picture of the field. Those of you that know Wagner know that three years ago they planted wildflowers, and then last year they planted rye grass on top of it to protect it from birds and other animals. I've worked as hard on this metaphor as I've worked, because I don't like metaphors very much. They don't speak to me as as clearly as plain speech. But God's the creator, right? He created you. You're the field. He created the sun, which gives nutrients to the field and light and heat. He created the animals and a system that works well for the flourishing of the wildflowers, which I'm calling the beautiful attitudes. God controls Jesus also, the temperature, the wind. I love watching the colors come out in spring. How about you? How many greens are there? My word. And here's where, where the metaphor can fail if I don't make it a little bit supernatural. The wildflowers cannot actually be taken away if they're the beautiful attitudes of the Holy Spirit. But the ryegrass is you enjoying kingdom practices to do what you can to protect the wildflowers so that others can see them and you can enjoy them as they grow in you. Now, as metaphors go, the ryegrass is not going to be as powerful of a protection as um, the Holy Spirit's indwelling of you. But for our purposes, follow me. So you're the field. The beautiful attitudes, like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, or the definition by description of love in 1 Corinthians 13, the flowers are planted in you, given, created by the Holy Spirit. You put the ryegrass on top so that others might more quickly enjoy the beautiful attitudes that are growing in you right now, and that you might enjoy it also, and that God might be glorified by them. Make sense? So whatever the kingdom practices are in your life, prayer, corporate worship, spiritual conversation, what they are to do is interconnect your very being with what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. Like, what is the Holy Spirit doing in you? The Holy Spirit in you is creating these beautiful attitudes that we wouldn't naturally want, but they are what the world needs and even what we need. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Jesus, we praise and thank you that you came to bind up the brokenhearted. Described in Isaiah 61 in the ways that you now describe us here in Matthew 5. Holy Spirit, as you indwell us and guide us to reflect you more and more clearly to ourselves and the world, we ask that we would know that we are glorifying you as we are gripped by this beautiful way, these beautiful ways of being in the world. Father, we praise and thank you for the kingdom that you offer to us, that we receive by faith because of the work of Christ, and is ours now and forever because of the Holy Spirit. Amen.